Good morning. You guys ready? Woo! Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. Hey, the first thing we're going to do, we just finished up with a Game of Life class. How many have gone through the Game of Life? Raise your hand. It's an important class here at Desert Breeze. And uh, our mission statement here at uh, Desert Breeze is that we want to help unchurched people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John 10.10, the first part of it says, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I think it's a great commentary of what's going on all around this world today. And yet in the midst of that, in the midst of our pathetic plight, Jesus has come to give us life and that to the fullest. That's what he said. Jesus came not to give us religion or a set of rules or ritual. He came to give us fullness of life. That fullness of life comes as a byproduct of a relationship with the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. Fullness of life. There's not a better life on this planet earth than the life that comes as a result of being fully devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's amazing about that life is he came and gave his life for you and I so that we could have this fullness of life. A couple of my favorite verses are found in in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, and 9, 8. 8, 9 defines for us this idea of grace. And it says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. And then 2 Corinthians 9, 8 puts it this way, talking about the grace of God, how it covers every base in our life. That God is able to make all grace, that word grace meaning unmerited favor, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. The word abound is used twice in that verse, and it means it gives you the idea of like a river overflowing its banks. And God will so fill your life with his grace that it literally overflows your life to cover every base, every problem, every issue in your life. So we just finished up with a game of life, and we help help the folks here at Desert Breeze to know what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And we identify that with the five G's. I put this banner up here. It says, uh, you see this banner? It says ministries table or ministry tables, DBCC. I didn't put it up there because the ministry tables are below that. I put it up there because there's five symbols that represent the 5G process of full devotion to Jesus Christ. The far to the left is a heart with a cross in it, and that means a genuine Christian. That's someone who's made a commitment to Christ and to a local church family, and then they make that public through water baptism. There's a number of folks that are getting baptized here today to make that public declaration, and that's why we're celebrating. The second G is a growing Christian. You've got grapevines. So genuine growing, a growing Christian is someone who's made a commitment to the disciplines necessary for spiritual growth. Disciplines help us to increase our capacity to experience more of God in our lives. The third G is a giving Christian. If you're genuine, you'll be growing. If you're growing, you'll be giving. And that's someone who is committed to the discipline of discovering how God has uniquely shaped them, using the word shape as an acronym, S-H-A-P-E, spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, and experiences, life experiences. God uses that in the greatest entity on this planet Earth for life change, and that's the local church like Desert Breeze. And so that's the third G, genuine, growing, giving, going, When you encounter Jesus, walk in vital union with him, you can't help but want to tell others about him. And so we we equip you, we help you to know how to to do that. So you got genuine growing, giving, going. And the last one is all for the glory of God. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. You and I were created by God for God to give glory to God. And the best way to give glory to God is for you to find your deepest satisfaction in Him. There's nothing on this planet Earth that will satisfy you like God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we've got quite a number of people just recently, I think about 25 to 30, that just went through our Game of Life class. I'm going to invite Charlene up. She administrates this for us, takes care of it. And she's going to read the names. As she reads your name, and if you've gone through the Game of Life, would you come on up here and let us celebrate with you? Here we go. Jack Basham, Melissa Basham, Heidi Burke, Janessa Butts, Steve Butts, 
Don Campbell, Jimmy Campbell, Dale Crow, Teresa Crow, Shane Davis, Sabrina Ellingson, Shane Ellingson, Dee Gardner, Larry Gardner, Don Grimm, Jean Grimm, Sylvia Grimm, Michelle Haggerty, Rachel Johnson, Rob Johnson, Olivia Kershaw, Angie Klein, Josh Kuntzis, Joseph McMurray, Alex Nickel, Ashley Nickel, Sam Orth, David Palmer, Heather Ratliff, Mariah Roden, and Karen Taylor. our winter graduating class from Game of Life. Good job. Thank you, guys. God bless you. We're going to do a baptism here in just a minute, but before we do that, um, I've got three folks that are going to be giving their personal testimony. I had them in, in our Game of Life class at, on our very last class. We teach, we teach our students how to write out their testimony. We've got three of our students from previous classes that are going to come up and read their testimony. And uh, can I have everyone's attention? I know you guys are having a lot of fun. This is real, 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 real important that you hear what is about to take place here. After this, I'm going to give you a real clear understanding of what the gospel is. Most people do not understand the gospel here in America today. There's a lot of skewed ideas of what the gospel message is, a lot of strange ideas. A lot of people reject something that they don't really fully understand. And I hope that before you leave today, you have a clear understanding of what the Bible teaches about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everybody look up here. Listen up. There's an overused phrase these days. You've probably have heard it before. And it's the phrase, it was life-changing. Or it is life-changing. And I've heard it as it relates to diets. The diet is life-changing or dating service. It was life-changing or pharmaceutical drugs that are life-changing. I even heard just recently there's a defense lawyer out there that says that if you let him defend you, it will be life-changing. It's really quite interesting. And I've heard it as it relates to what you dress or dine or what you drive. It can all be life-changing. And I don't deny that any of these uh, are life-changing in a temporal sense, I don't deny that, but there's only one thing that can change your life for all eternity through and through. Most of the life change that happens in our lives is more of a moral restrained will, but the gospel brings a supernaturally transformed heart. The Bible calls that regeneration, and it's a life transformation through and through. The Apostle Paul put it this way, in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, good news. It's talking about the personal work of Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation, the life change for everyone who believes. And I want to, uh, I'm going to invite three up here. Oh, uh, I just wanted to bring to uh, your attention also along with this, because uh, there is a couple here that just got married last night. Mike and Carrie Scott, and they're here this morning on their honeymoon. Ooh, they're right there. Ooh. That's pretty life-changing, to say the least. 
But uh, they are fully devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, they love the Lord dearly. So good to see you guys this morning. On your honeymoon, first service back, cool, outstanding. Uh, we're going to have uh, Dana and Pam Brown. They're going to come up and give their testimony, and then right after them, uh, Daniel Martin is going to read his testimony. They're going to read it. They wrote it out. I wanted them to stay right with what they're reading, but I want you guys to really listen to what they have to say. They're somewhat frightened to do this. Uh, you know, public speaking is one of those things that's really uncomfortable for people to do. You know, when you ask uh, what's the number one fear, how many know what the number one fear is? It's, uh, yeah, it's public speaking. Number two is death. Isn't that weird? Public speaking before death? You know what number three is? Death while public speaking. Okay. Uh, that was a bad joke, but but I, I appreciate them coming up here. They're going to give their testimony. I want you to hear their story of, of how what Paul says that we are not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes in. And hear their story and how Christ has changed their lives. So let's give Dan, Dana a hand. Okay, um, I grew up in a small community near Richmond, Virginia. At the age of five, my mom and dad divorced, and my brother and I stayed with my dad. Uh, this is about where my memories start. I had what I consider to be a very good early childhood. My brother and I had lots of friends growing up and lived in a nice middle-class neighborhood. My grandparents came to live with us after the divorce, and I loved my grandpa and grandma very much. Uh, my dad remarried when I was 11, and for the most part, we got along in a three-generation family. When I was 11, my brother and I, along with most of our friends in the neighborhood that we grew up in, started smoking pot and doing drugs of just about every kind. We started getting into trouble, so my dad sent us away to military boarding school about 150 miles away from home. And this taught me some discipline, but it didn't do much for getting me away from drugs. After high school, I went to Daytona Beach to Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University to become an airline pilot. But within seven months, I got kicked out for smoking pot. Uh, this was a very low point in my life, and I actually thought about killing myself rather than facing my dad with this news. Nine months later, I joined the Navy, I think mainly to please my dad, and stayed there for six months, still partying and smoking pot and drinking the whole time. About two months before I got married, I experienced the most devastating event of my life, my brother was uh, killed in a motorcycle accident. I held him in my arms while he was dying, and we waited for 911 uh, to arrive. I met my wife, Pam, about eight months prior to this while in the Navy, and she got pregnant with my first daughter, Mindy, a few months after we got married. It was at this time that I felt very convicted to change my life and to grow up. I tried to do this under my own self-determination, and it lasted a short while. After I got out of the Navy, <clears throat> we moved to Ohio, and I found some more party buddies and got back into the same pattern of partying again. I felt guilty about this at times, but not enough to stop. One day, a local church put a flyer on our door, and Pam and I decided to try it out. The people there were very welcoming and very knowledgeable about the Lord and the Bible. They invited us to dinner at their houses, helped me fix things around our house. They got me to help them do yard work around the church, and, to put up, and they put up with my rude and crude sense of humor. I tested their patience on more than a few occasions, but they kept wanting me to come back and spend time with them. They really showed me the love of God like I had never experienced it before. I was baptized while attending this church, which, uh, but was still being tempted by my friends that I had made wanting me to party with them. I was really feeling convicted now to please God and to stop partying. 
Within a year, God orchestrated events so that I lost my job and had to work 15 hours a day just to make ends meet for my young family. I know now he wanted us to move away from the bad influences I had in Ohio and start fresh, getting away from the drugs and the partying. We came to Arizona because this is where my dad had moved years earlier. I stopped drinking and stopped doing drugs completely and went to a small church with my family and became active in helping out. I know God had saved me, but I was just doing the things I thought good Christians had to do and did not really have a relationship with Christ. In 1991, I read a fiction book called This Present Darkness that made the spiritual side of my life, of life seem real to me. I think it was at this time I started really reading my Bible and praying to Jesus for my family and others. My life was definitely different now. I began to want to do things that please God because of what he had done for me. Although I catch myself on occasion looking back and thinking the party life was good, and I know, I know I would not be happy or satisfied if I went back to that, and instead I know I would be tormented by the Holy Spirit to stop doing what God hates. I want to love God and please him much more than I want any of the sinful things that used to draw me away from him. Thanks, Dana. Here's Pam. Let's give her a hand. Can you hold it? Thanks. Okay. Um, I grew up in Ohio. I was the youngest of five. I grew up in a really difficult family situation. Um, my father died while I was just in kindergarten, and my mother, did, mothering did not come naturally to her. She was extremely abusive. Um, people say, oh, dysfunctional family uh, doesn't cover it. Um, I had observed her trying to strangle my brother on multiple occasions. She beat my sisters mercilessly with the buckle end of a belt. Neglect was a way of life for our family. While my older system, sisters and brothers were neglected and physically abused, I was considered the invisible child because even from my birth, my mother never acknowledged me. Our home was without love. In my eyes, I was unlovable. Though I did not understand love because I hadn't experienced it, I knew that people, in fact, did love each other. I wanted to be loved, but felt unlovable. I wanted to love other people. I just did not know how. Our family moved repeatedly. I attended eight different schools in 12 years, making it really difficult to, to make friends and keep them. At the age of 18, I joined the Navy and began to run away from my problems. I got married thinking I had finally found true love, only to be left feeling unloved. Sorry. <laughs> um, but I didn't actually believe anybody could love me. My next solution was to have kids who I thought would love their mother no matter what. And it was true. My children did love me, but I still felt unlovable. I was so afraid I would screw up my kids in the same way I was screwed up. I didn't know what to do. In my mid-20s, I received an invitation to go to a small church just around the corner from our home in Ohio. And after mentioning it to my husband, he decided it would be good for the whole family to go. So we did. We began to make friends. And the people of this small church, they truly loved us with an unconditional love, and we did test them. <laughs> they, um, the people, um, they continued to love us and encourage us. In just two months after beginning to attend, a friend of mine told me that I just needed to trust Jesus. She didn't have all the answers to my questions, 
but knew that Jesus would. That very day, I did trust Jesus for my whole life. I basically told him I screwed up everything I ever tried and couldn't figure out how to live my own life or on my own or turn things around. I needed God to help me, and God was faithful to me. He forgave me for all this bad stuff that I had done in my life, and you guys can fill in the blanks. He taught me how to be a good wife and a good parent. He taught me how to make friends. He taught me how to have relationships with people, but most importantly, how to have a relationship with him. I continued to trust him. I felt safe and secure for the first time in my life because I felt loved. I still have problems. I still have days when I feel unlovable. And just as a side note, we are all unlovable in the flesh, and God truly is the one that loves us. Without him, we really are unlovable. It's only Christ in our lives that makes us worth loving. He knows everything about me, all I've ever done and I'm ever going to do. He knows I'm going to continue to sin even though I don't want to, and he still loves me. And I want to leave you with Romans 8, 38 and 39, which says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us, me, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God will always love me, and he will always love you too. Thanks, Pam. Good job. Let's give Daniel Martin a hand as he comes on up. Good morning. As he said, my name is Daniel. I'm a native of Arizona. I was born in Scottsdale. And I had a pretty trouble-free childhood. And so I'll just fast forward to my teen years, which is when all the problems started to begin. As a teen, I was attending a Presbyterian church in Sunny Slope. And this was kind of strange after having been brought up a Mormon by my stepfather's parents, which is where I was originally baptized. And after going to this church, I realized that this wasn't really where I thought I needed to be. So I started to investigate other religions, and my mother was going to this Presbyterian church, so I started going with her, and I really enjoyed it. And while I was going there, I participated in many ministries, including singing with the choir. I taught Sunday school for a little while, and I would help out with the men's fellowship cooking breakfast. This is all as a 16-year-old kid. After a couple of years, I was even appointed a deacon of this church, so I thought I was doing really well, and I was accepted and made a lot of friends, uh, young people, old people, and everything was going really well. I went to this church through my teen years, except right at the end of my senior year in high school, when I was having the typical teen problems of the time, finding a job, girls, trying to get to know life. I wasn't even able to go to church anymore. A few months later, I received a letter in the mail from this church. As I opened it, I was feeling that it might be a letter asking me if everything was all right because I hadn't been in church for a while. Instead, as I read the letter, I found that it was a bill informing me that I was behind on my tithes. It appeared that they did not care how I was doing or if there was anything they could do for me. Then they only needed the money. After this incident, it became apparent in my mind that organized churches only cared about the bottom line and not the welfare of their congregation. I quit going to any church for the next 28 years because of this feeling and even began to consider myself agnostic with several questions in my mind about the existence of God and Jesus Christ and all. I did did attend a few Christmas services over the years, but nothing on a regular basis. In that time, I served in the U.S. Air Force for 10 years and was married and divorced two times. I did not handle any of these very well, 
And both times I did not trust God and sought solitude in the bottom of a bottle. That was until 1996 when I met my current wife, Charlene. We met at a local nightclub and soon found that we both enjoyed dancing more than anything else. We dated for several months, falling more and more in love, and were married in August of 96. And at that time, I gave up heavy drinking and now only have a, a drink occasionally, if even at all. And it's more not at all nowadays. We've had our ups and downs as any marriage has, but we have managed to work things out and become stronger from these times. Over the course of our almost 15 years together, she had asked me several times to go to different churches that were recommended by her friends. Each time I resisted, thinking back to that experience at that church in Sunny Slope. After all, with the economy in a downturn, they must be even greedier than they were before. But something was different in December of 2009 when my wife asked me to go to Desert Breeze, again on the recommendation of a coworker. We started by going to the Christmas Eve service, and after hearing Pastor Ray's message and seeing the friendliness of the church family, I realized at that time that I had found a new church home. It was even more evident that God drew me to Desert Breeze when I heard that they don't pass the plate. Even though money is important to the health and success of a church, this church wanted their congregation to give for the right reason. This made it seem that they cared more for the health of my soul than they did for the bottom line. Instantly, I thought, what a comforting feeling. Since I have been attending Desert Breeze, I feel God's calling on a daily basis, and I have even renewed hunger to connect with him. It is as if that light switch in my soul has once again been turned on, and I see more and more of God's presence with each passing minute. I feel connected again, and I'm once again interested in serving the church family. I've already completed the game of life and attended the 2010 men's retreat, where the overwhelming presence of God could be felt on a daily basis. Also, last fall, I made the decision to recommit my life to Jesus Christ and was rebaptized here at Desert Breeze. But my greatest joy right now is that I take time for my personal relationship with God and His Word by daily prayer, Bible study, and by reading many of the books that Pastor Ray has recommended over the past few years and has helped me to remain focused on my path to God's grace and love. Thanks, Daniel. Let's give him a hand. God bless you. Good job. Let me just take a couple more minutes, and then we're going to have our uh, those that are going to be getting baptized this morning will come up, and we'll start running you through the line here. Let me start off by, by making this statement. If the gospel, if the gospel isn't the most amazing message you've ever heard, then you haven't heard it. If what the Bible teaches us about the person and work of Jesus Christ isn't the most stunning thing that you've ever encountered, then you really haven't encountered it yet. The Bible makes it very clear, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all in the same boat together. We all live on the same street. We were created by God for God to give glory to God, but we've done everything but that. We tend to live our life for our glory rather than for His. As St. Augustine put it in his confessions, he said, Our hearts will forever be restless until we find our rest in Him. It's what you were created for. You're an object of His love. And it's not until you come into this relationship with the eternal God, the Father God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, you will forever be restless, going from one happiness high to the next. And the Bible says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've fallen short of living our lives for His glory. It tells us in Romans 1.25, it explains a little bit more of what that looks like. What we typically do is we exchange the truth of God for a lie and we worship and serve created things more than the Creator. 
Yeah, we can take even good things like our job and family and, and sports and elevate them from a good thing to an ultimate thing where our sense of identity is attached. The Bible says that's idolatry. And it can really ultimately create major problems in our life because we are building our life on a foundation that is too small for our life. And when the storms of life rage, we will find ourselves devastated. There's only one rock-solid foundation that can endure the storms of life, and that is a life that is built upon the love and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only that life. It's only the life fully devoted to Him. Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. Now, we know what physical death is. Physical death is our soul is separated from our body. If you've gone to a funeral lately, you know that that person's soul is not there, but their body is there. That's physical death. But the Bible says that there is a spiritual death that takes place in our life. For the wages of sin, because we've had this independent attitude towards God. Oh, by the way, it's the reason we have the mess that we have on this planet Earth currently. All the suffering is a result of man's rebellion against God. And the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world to realign ourselves with the living God. He came to give, give his life for us so that we could reestablish our life and have that fullness of life in him. But the, for the wages of sin is death, and that death is separation from God, that where we are separated spiritually from God. Now listen to me. Every one of us right now is on one of two trajectories in life. You are either headed towards eternal separation from God or eternal celebration with God. Everyone here is going to eventually die. Every one of us will die. And the trajectory of our life is one or the other. Eternal separation, eternal celebration. That's death, spiritual death. For the wages of sin is death. But it doesn't stop there. I love this next point. It says, but the gift, the gift. It's a gift. You can't earn it. You can't achieve it. See, immediately when people think of Christianity... They think that when you invite someone to become a Christian, they think, oh, I've got to get my life together. I've got to start doing good things. I've got to... It's not you obey God and He blesses you. No, He blesses you no matter where you are. He gives you His grace. He loves you in your unloveliness in order to make you lovable and lovely, in order to change you. What changes you is this amazing grace, this unmerited favor, His love for you. In fact, it tells us in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you didn't want to have anything to do with God, and maybe you're even here today feeling that same sentiment towards God. I don't have anything to do with God. You're not here by happenstance. You're not here by chance. You've been brought here by divine design to hear what I'm saying to you right now. God loves you with an everlasting love, and nothing on this planet Earth can satisfy your deepest needs like His love, and nothing will transform your life like His love. When you live in the reality of His love, it changes everything about you. There's nothing on this planet Earth that can change you like His love. It tells us in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross, and so when we talk about His love, we're talking really about His work, and His work is found in the cross, and it says the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those, to us who are being saved, it is the power of, of God. So when we look at the cross, which is the symbol of Christianity, it is the crux of all of Christianity. It is the central message of what the Bible is all about, the cross of Jesus Christ. There are two messages that you need to get. That first of all, when you look at the cross, you and I are more sinful than we ever dared to think. We were so sinful, Jesus had to die for us. There's not a thing you can do to achieve a right relationship with God except bring your sin to the cross and bring yourself to the cross and put your faith in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first thing that we learn about the cross. I am more sinful than I ever dared to think. I was so sinful Jesus had to die for me, but it doesn't stop there. 
It also tells us the cross tells us this powerful message that I am more loved than I ever dared to dream. He loved me so much he wanted to die for me. The eternal Father, through His Son and the work of His Holy Spirit, could not bear the thought of us being eternally separated from Him because of our sin. So He took our sin upon Himself. It tells us in the fifth chapter, the 21st verse of Romans, He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So by faith in Jesus Christ, when I put my faith in Him, I stand before Him completely righteous. My past sins are forgiven. My present problems can be managed because He indwells me with His presence, His Holy Spirit. And then my future is secure. When I take my last breath on earth, I take my, la- my first breath with Him for all eternity. And it's by faith. It tells us in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, belief is not merely an agreement with facts in the head. It is also an appetite for God in the heart. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he becomes the treasure of your life. Everything else is demoted. And you just want to know Him and be with Him and enjoy Him and follow Him and celebrate Him and tell the world about Him. He ravishes your heart with His love. And and what motivates your life from that day forward is a heart that is smitten by the beauty and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we go back to the statement that I said before, God is most glorified in us when we are satisfied in Him. And when we are satisfied in Him, we are crucified to the world. This world has no longer a hold on us. And it gives us that ability to get through whatever we go through. I want to have you bow your heads with me. Take a moment. If you've never made a confession of faith in Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. This is how you do it. It's, it's as simple as ABCs. And you, first of all, in your heart, between you and God, He hears you. He knows what you're thinking even right now. And you just acknowledge your sin. You recognize my sin separates me from you, God. I've, I have not lived my life for your glory. I've lived my life for my glory. I've lived my life pursuing a lot of other things other than you. And so you acknowledge that. You recognize that because of that, you're separated from God, but you also, in your heart, begin to believe. And you say, God, yes, I acknowledge my sin, but I believe. I believe that you sent your son to this earth to die on a cross for all of my sins and to indwell me with your presence. Just say that to him right now, just between you and him. I acknowledge my sin. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And see, I confess you as my Lord and Savior. I turn the steering wheel of my life over to you. God, I give you my life this morning. I want you to be the treasure of my life. I want to find my deepest satisfaction in you, God. I know that my heart will forever be restless until I find my rest in you. So help me to do that today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Those of you that are going to get baptized, we're going to have you come on up and start lining up right here. We've got quite a number of folks that are going to get get baptized. As you're coming up, let me explain what we're going to have you do. I'll have you come up, and all you need to do is state your name. If you want to share a few things of the difference Christ has made, you can do that. Just keep it very short, very brief. And then we'll have you walk into the water, and someone will be in the water there with you. And we will dunk you. Come on up here, Zach. Hey there, my name is Zach Bertelson. Um, I grew up in the church, but uh, God always felt like more of an obligation than a choice. And uh, after a few years spent running away from God, I finally figured out that I was running the wrong direction. I'm really excited and glad to share my faith with you today.
Zach, because of your confession of faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What each of these are doing is that they're identifying with the substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It tells us in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me in the life that I now live. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so as we put them down into the water, they're identifying. It's called substitutionary atonement. That Jesus died on the cross for me and gave me this fullness of life. And so we celebrate that fullness of life through Jesus Christ. Here's our next guy. My name's Ryan. Ryan, because of your confession of faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hi, my name is Shannon Morgan, and I just want to thank Jesus for my new and wonderful life. Shannon, because of your confession of faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My name's Alex Nickel, and I confess Jesus as Lord and thank God for his grace. Alex, because of your confession of faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My name is Joseph, and my Father is my Lord, and uh, Jesus rocks my socks. Joe, because of your confession of faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My name is Rob Johnson, and I'd just like to say, Jesus is Lord, and thank you. We've got a daughter here going to baptize dad. We've got to make sure that she doesn't try to hold him down under too long. Huh? Rob, because of your confession of faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My name is Jacob, and I'm in here in support of my wonderful fiance, uh, Joanna, that we're going to get baptized together. Let's see, when are you guys getting married? June? Excellent. Cool. Jacob and Joanna, because of your confession of faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Good job.
My name is Kylie. because of your confession of faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My name is Sarah Metis. Sarah, because of your confession of faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hi, my name is Heidi Burke, and I love the Lord, and I want to live my life for Him. Heidi, because of your confession of faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Excellent. My name is Russell. Russell, because of your confession of faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because of your confession of faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay. Uh, my name is Jeff Welty. Praise God. Jeff, because of your confession of faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Woo! Yeah. Hi, my name is Shane Davis, and above all else, I seek the love of my Creator, uh, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you all. Jane, because of your confession of faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Nika, because of your confession of faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My name is Karen, and um, I've finally seen the truth.
Karen, because of your confession of faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, we always do this, and I always do it last call, and typically we have, we'll have a few more. I led you in a prayer of faith a few moments ago. If that was the first time you ever made that prayer, you can get baptized here today. If you've actually done that in your heart, you've put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or if there's anyone here that's never been baptized, you can get baptized right now, right here. We're ready. Any takers? I'll give you to the count of three. If there's no takers, we're going to do the big cheer. Then we're going to chow down. You guys ready? One, two, any takers? Three. Here we go. On the count of three, this is what we typically do in celebration of... Uh, of those that have made this public declaration, we're going to lift the roof off of these uh, ramadas. You guys ready? We're going to do a big yay God. You guys ready? On the count of three. For those that made this public declaration of their faith in Jesus Christ. Any takers? Any takers? Last call. Here we go. One, two, three. Yay God! Woo! Yes. Praise God. Praise God for His grace, His redeeming power. And all that he does for us. One last thing. We're heading into a brand new teaching series coming up this next weekend right here at Sandra Day O'Connor High School. We'll return to our two services on the campus right here in the Performing Arts Building, 845 and 1030. We are living in perilous times, difficult times, troubled times. And we're starting a new teaching series, Trusting in Troubled Times. We're going to be looking and studying through the book of Habakkuk. So we invite you all back for next week as we kick off this brand new teaching series.